Welcome into the second ever episode of Between Two Fats on the I'm Fat Podcast. Between Two Fats is brought to you by our buddy, Charlie the Bacon Guy. Place your orders, charliethebaconguy at gmail.com, charliethebaconguy on Instagram, slide into his DMs, or find him on Twitter at czthebaconguy. This guest for us today, Jennifer Billock, made a lot of sense. I think we probably got sent her story from Block Club a dozen times over the past week where she profiled the Baker's Dozen, the group of bakery owners in Chicago who gather every month to help each other out, to share recipes, to share ideas, to taste test. Fascinating story, which led me to her book about Chicago bakeries. So we're going to talk to Jen here in a matter of moments. But again, make sure you support Charlie the Bacon Guy, who brings you Between Two Fats. Joining us now on Between Two Fats is author Jennifer Billock. She is the author of the upcoming book, Historic Chicago Bakeries, which I cannot wait to read. She also wrote the viral post that all of you have emailed to us. Thank you very much Mm -hmm. from Block Club Chicago, (laughs) a secret society of Chicago bakers meets every month and it's keeping beloved bakeries alive. This is what got my attention and the attention of our audience. So, Jennifer, for the three people who listen to us who have not read that article, Catch us up to speed about the Baker's Dozen Society of Chicago Bakers who are keeping tradition alive in Chicago. Oh, the Baker's Dozen is a group of 13 bakers from the oldest family-owned bakeries in in and around Chicago. Um, And they meet once a month and they gather to... So they start it by each deciding on a product that the product is not like something that's up to par or performing as much as well as they would like it. So say like their muffins aren't selling as well as they would like, or their pound cake doesn't taste right or something like that. So they get together once a month and everybody tries each other's food. So everyone will make a pound cake and they'll all try each other's pound cake and see, like give their advice, you know, here's what you could do to make it better. Here's why it might not be tasting right. Maybe you're cooking it too long, things like that. And then they all take it back to their bakeries and improve their own products, which improves their products for us because that means they're extra delicious. That is so interesting to me because a lot of these businesses are very similar. They offer kind of the same things. They sell the same products and you think they'd want to be dominant. They want to be the one with the best, whatever, to see that collaboration between a, in a competitive industry is something I've really never heard much about. I'm sure chefs talk about things now and again, but to have rival bakeries meeting every month to help each other is to me is unprecedented. Have you ever heard of anything like this before? I have not, and but they don't consider themselves rivals. And I think that's the important part here is that they consider themselves as a group of bakers that are working together to make things better for themselves and for us. So they they just don't want people to go to the grocery store and get like subpar baked goods. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's the part that's fascinating is when I first saw the headline, I was like, Okay, since you know we want to call it big bakery or her ba- big imitation bakery has uh, has really tried to you know take over some of the space with just you know pure convenience of everything being in the same spot or whatever. But the fact that it goes back this far and goes back generations is just like really cool. And the fact that you know even through those generations, everyone has understood the importance of it and the role that it plays for all of them. So there hasn't been you know 
one family member that does go rogue and try and dominate everything. Like, like I'm, I imagine that like the interpersonal dynamic has to be fascinating. Yeah. I mean, they're all good friends. They like vacation together. Two of the bakers share Blackhawks seasons tickets. Like it's they, yeah, they get along really well. And the, the interaction between all of them is just really fascinating. What sort of challenges did COVID present for them? I know you mentioned in the article that, you know, they kind of now text every day or call every day, but they still do have the formal meeting. What did they do during COVID? Was it all via Zoom? Did they sort of pause it for a while? Because I know a lot of bakeries struggled to even stay in business during COVID. From my understanding, it was all mostly via text. I know some of the bakeries that participate were um, very um, COVID nervous and so didn't want to do in-person meetings, which I would not have wanted to either because I was, I'm also very COVID nervous. <laughs> so, um, but um, I think they did a lot over text. They could just send a text. So like they have a text group of like 13 or 14 people or whatever and, and send that, that text message out so everybody can respond all at the same time. As far as I know, they did not do any in-person meetings. I am leaving a pound cake at the corner of Madison and State. Everyone go... <laughs> Cut a slice. <laughs> everyone stay apart. I need input on my pound cake. That's awesome. And uh, that, that sort of brings me to the book, Historic Chicago Bakeries. Uh, what was your motivation for writing this? What, what uh, lit the spark for you on this project? Outside of getting free food from bakeries, which is 100% understandable <laughs> yes. and commendable. Thank you. Uh, no, I just, I love um, bakeries. <laughs> I was for in college for like six months, I was a pastry chef and I like have dreamt about that job ever since. Um, so I like, I go to bakeries a lot and I'm from Chicago. So for me, it was just a natural combination of the two with my history as like a food and travel writer and as a bakery lover. Um, so I think it might have been my boyfriend's idea. Um, and we were like in a bakery and he was like, you should write about this. But I don't remember which one of us thought about it first. <laughs> well, it's a great idea. I'm definitely buying a copy. It's out September 27th uh, from Arcadia Publishing. Obviously, you can order it at the Big Goliath, but I'm sure, Jennifer, you'd agree. If you can help out a small local bookshop, uh, please do. One of my favorites is Bookies. There's one in Homewood. There's one in the Beverly Mount Greenwood area. 57th Street Books in Hyde Park. Is there a spot you'd like to recommend to Jennifer? Uh, bookshop.org is always great. Yeah. I don't know how many of the smaller bookstores have it available for pre-order, but um, I would recommend Uncharted, Women and Children First. Um, although I don't know that this is right up their alley. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, just check all the smaller bookstores first. Just give them your business, please. They need it. All right. Well, when speaking to you, um, I mentioned my favorite bakery when I arranged the interview i said if you haven't tried wolf's bakery on 95th street you've got to try wolf's and you told me it was in the book uh, just sort of bigger picture as you were talking to these bakery owners and and learning about the history is there anything that that really sort of surprised you about how the industry took off how it began is there anything you learned in this process being a bakery connoisseur as you are jennifer is there any new information that came to light that maybe you weren't expecting Mm, you know, there's, there's a few things. Well, the Baker's dozen obviously was the biggest one that just was totally shocking. That's so cool. I learned. Yeah. Um, I learned also at one time there were something like 7,000 bakeries in Chicago and now it's down to like a fraction, like a tiny, tiny fraction of that. And up here in Andersonville, where I live, there used to be a 
a boatload of Swedish bakeries. And what I thought was really cool was that they all worked together to plan their vacation time so that no one would be left without a bakery open at some point, which just seems amazing to me. (laughs) Um, And then it, it was really like, Another thing that surprised me was how many bakeries just outside the city limits started in Chicago. So, I mean, everybody's got Chicago roots, I guess, right. in this area. It's great. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. There's um, Ferrara and Allegretti's made these gigantic wedding cakes that had live doves in, in them. And they would like open the cage that was like the second tier down. And then the doves would fly out oh, during yeah. the wedding. And yeah, a lot of uh, fun wedding stories. <laughs> so with all the bakeries that you talked to and wrote about for, for the book, outside of, you know, maybe like stylistic differences, or whatever, what are some of the similarities you tended to find in a lot of these that have been able to stay open for as long as they have? The majority of them make everything from scratch, everything from scratch. They, they crack their eggs in the bakery. They use fresh like butter, organic ingredients. Everything is from scratch. They don't buy like pre-processed crap. And, (laughs) and they, so that's the main similarity. And also I mean, a lot of them sell very similar items. And I think that's because we kind of have a taste here. Yes, Yes, we do. Yes. We know what we want and they know Mm -hmm. what we want. So they're going to give it to us. Um, But it's funny. There are some things that differ from the south side, south and west side, north side, right? So southwest side has the atomic cake. We don't have that up here. It doesn't do well when people try to sell it up here. No one really knows why. I asked everybody, why doesn't the atomic cake? sell well on the north side and they said we had no idea so that was something that was really interesting kind of something that everyone shared in common was a a lack of knowledge about why the atomic cake yeah, does so well that's interesting in just one part yeah it's kind of where it's from right and i guess it, if it started on the southwest side then that's those are the people that love it and i think other people sort of look at it like i don't know what that is it seems like a yeah. lot i'm gonna pass one thing that chicago agrees upon and is uniquely chicago is the punch key do you mm-hmm. get into Punchki Day and the history of Punchkis in Chicago? Because what started off as like a simple fruit and dough pastry has become now um, just the most decadent thing. It's become a contest to be the most decadent. Uh, what did you learn about Punchkis in your uh, <laughs> in your research? Uh, so I've I've combined my research with Punchkis in this book and with a book that I wrote about restaurants in Milwaukee. Um, so. Punch keys. I think the most interesting thing that I learned was that in Poland, where they came from, they were eaten on Thursdays and not Tuesdays. And they're eaten on a Tuesday here. Um, and it's basically just, a, if I'm remembering correctly, and I'm really sorry if I'm not, it, it's a way to use up all the extra like bakery stuff that's going to go bad to make your, your doughs for, um, for the punch key. And I, I think that the new types of fillings are phenomenal. <laughs> the typical is um, poppy seed, apricot, um, and one other, a, a jelly of some kind. But those are the traditional ones, but the modern ones are, are I think, much better. <laughs> yeah, anytime you could jam a donut with frosting, I'm in. 
I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> you don't have to convince me twice. So, well, they're not donuts though. So, punchki is not not a donut. It's they're two different types of dough. All right. Well, so, if you can shove any shove frosting in anything, I'm in. Basically, I mean, <laughs> a shoe, maybe you know, an old hat. I'm I'm down for it. All right. So, as a bakery connoisseur. I want to know what your go-to order is. I'm a, if I walk yes. into a, if I go into Calumet bakery or Wolf's bakery, I'm getting a chocolate donut and I'm getting bakery cookies. I love, I cannot get enough of the little bakery cookies that they usually dry your mouth out a little bit. They got the sprinkles on them, but I love them. Jennifer, what is your go-to bakery order? Well, if I'm going to have a party, my go-to bakery order is the banana split tort from Weber's. Um, if I'm just going for my own enjoyment, I'm probably going to get a, donut with chocolate frosting or chocolate chip cookies or um, walnut brownies. Now, is that your standard if you're going somewhere new? Like does your your basic order when you're just getting what you want, does that differ from the, okay, I'm trying a bakery for the first time. So I need, you know, I need a control group here before <laughs> I branch out and try other things to, to see if it, if, if it passes a baseline test. My control group at a brand new bakery to me is buying everything they have and trying it yes. all. I have no control. Well, see, I, now I, now you wrote the book and you just write it off. Like, well, it's, it's research. Yeah, I, yeah, I, totally. as, the, as an authority on Chicago bakeries, now I am obligated to stay up on the latest technologies of baking. I have to buy everything. And at the end of the year, psh, tax write off. 100%. I think yeah, that's I just, how it I works, have right? a, Oh yeah, I have an app that I just take a picture of my receipt and I'm, I'm good. Sends it right to my accountant. <laughs> That's awesome. I, all right, before we wrap up, Jennifer, this has been really fun. Is there anything you want people to know about the book? Sell your book to our audience. Do it. No pressure. <laughs> so the book covers bakeries from the 1880s to the 1970s, and it has a history of each place and then historic photos of each that you can enjoy and then there's fun little stories from my family history with chicago bakeries and then uh fun historical stories from the bakery owners themselves um there is it's a beautiful book the cover is gorgeous i just got my author copies yesterday oh, nice. so Ooh. i'm very excited um there is a signing at dinkles on october 3rd from 11 to 2 um i will have a limited supply of books there so please pre-order if you can um and otherwise i'll be there to sign it and i can show you all of my favorite baked goods at dinkles which is going to be everything <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah well jennifer thank you for joining us i didn't tell you this ahead of time but you are now because you joined us on between two fats you're getting uh gift bacon from charlie the bacon guy our craft bacon uh dealer so i'll get you in touch with charlie and he's going to send some bacon your way uh, we appreciate you taking the time. The book is called Historic Chicago Bakeries, out September 27th from Arcadia Publishing. Support your local bookshop, buy local, buy small. If you don't have that option, bookshop.org is a great place to buy. Jennifer Billock, thank you so much for joining us here on Between Two Fats. Thank you for having me. That was author Jennifer Billock. Thank you so much to Jennifer for joining us. And thanks to Charlie, the bacon guy. He's going to be sending bacon Jennifer's way. And here's what Charlie has available now in the Charlie the Bacon Guy shop. Your weekly bacon flavors are maple pepper, rosemary pepper garlic, buffalo, ranch, jalapeno garlic, curry ginger, Caribbean jerk, and honey chipotle. Bacon jams are the original, the bourbon, habanero, and peach. Don't forget about t-shirts, hockey jerseys, and stickers. And if you've got any fun flavor ideas, 
shoot me a DM. I'm Charlie the Bacon Guy. Find Charlie, Charlie the Bacon Guy at gmail.com, at CZ the Bacon Guy on Twitter, or jump into his Instagram DMs at Charlie the Bacon Guy. Until next time, thanks for listening to Between Two Fats on the I'm Fat Podcast. <laughs>